Hey everybody, this is AJ, the Media and Creative Director for Lifehouse Church. We are so glad you're checking out our most recent message, and we hope it encourages you, challenges you, and most of all, inspires you to go show the world they are loved and highly valued. Enjoy the message. You know, I uh, always want to be careful... I always want to be vulnerable and transparent from this platform, but my struggle with that is I don't want to overshare. And some of you already know that I, I do that anyway. I say too much. Um, I think my jokes are funny, even if nobody else does. I think, you know, I, uh, I, I want to be honest about my life as much as I can be without you trying to get me fired as the pastor. A few, few weeks ago, I really felt like we needed to go to Philippians and we needed to talk about joy. And um, I'm just going to be honest with you. Judge me if you want to, but hopefully you got enough sense of maturity to not do that. Um, it has been a struggle for me to choose joy since I decided to preach out of Philippians. It has been like what the heck um, and I was thinking about that and I'm, I'm not trying to compare myself to some great prophet from the Old Testament like Ezekiel or I can't mention Hosea because that would get really weird fast if I talked about that if you don't know what I'm talking about you need to go read Hosea um, but a lot of times uh, people would go through things personally that the Lord would then have them share from their personal experiences. I think that happens a lot today as well. I mean, I can talk to you about letting go of bitterness because your boy been bitter before. I can talk to you about um, struggling with certain things because I've struggled with them before. And I think that if we're being honest, all of us in this room at different times have struggled to choose joy. Um, and we come up with excuses, you know, we'll tell, you know, we'll say, well, this is, this is why I'm this way. Um, and I get it. I understand, you know, life, life happens and circumstances happen and dispositions may be certain ways, but ultimately if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away all things have become new and so today I want to talk to you about how we can always have joy and I wish I could tell you it was easy but I can't but I can tell you it's possible it's not easy but it is possible and this is what Paul said one, one verse, but I'm going to read it in three different translations because I think it bears repeating. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Always, come on, say that word always. Always, always be full of joy in your possessions. That was a good water break there. Always be full of joy of joy in the circumstances of life. Always be full of joy in how big your house is. 
always be full of joy in the bass boat that you want so badly. Somebody said, well, you got the truck to pull it now, so I can't get the boat because I got the truck. It's always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. New King James says it like this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. One other translation, it's, the, it's really a paraphrase, it's called the Passion Translation. It says, be cheerful with joyous celebration when you feel like it and when things are going your way and you got enough sleep last night and you lost five pounds last week. No, man. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. That's the win. That's when you should be joyful in every season of life. Or, you know, the original translation just said, always. But I appreciate the paraphrase because we like to add exceptions to the always, right? Well, if you knew what I was going through, or if you knew what they said to me, you would understand why I don't have joy when they're around. That's not what Paul said, though, was it? That's not what the Lord says to us, is it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow. And I like this last part. It's the why. It's the why we can have joy in every season of life. And not just like the little bit of joy when, you know, when we're basically just faking it. But like real joy, overflowing joy in every season of life. And here's the why. Because you have been united with the anointed one. And the anointed one is just an elaborate way of saying Jesus. You have been united with Jesus. Paul says, and I believe the Lord is speaking through Paul, that we are to have joy that doesn't come from our possessions, that doesn't come from our position, that doesn't come from our prestige. Anybody got some other P words like that? To have joy that, you know, that's the preacher tactic. You got, everything's got to start with the same letter, right? Have joy that is rooted in Jesus regardless of external and dare I even say internal circumstances. Because that's when it's really the hardest to choose joy, right? When everything on the outside is pretty okay. But there's something on the inside. There's a disconnect, right? I would, I would say more times than not, that's spiritual warfare. More times than not, I believe that is Satan coming up against our minds and our spirits trying to convince us that joy is unattainable because of something inside of us that just isn't right. And I would also like to further tell you something that I have learned and am learning and will continue to learn 
is that God never asks something of us that we are unable to fulfill. God doesn't require something of us that is impossible. And so when Paul writes this, he writes it as not a suggestion, but as a command. As a command. We often treat having joy as a great suggestion or something to aspire to be able to do. But it's not. It's part of following Jesus faithfully and totally. Have joy always. And something else that I have and am and will continue to learn is that when God tells us to do or to not to do something, it is not for his own benefit. God doesn't tell us to have joy because he wants to look at us and be like, all right, they have joy. That makes me happy. No, no, God tells us and gives us commands, not because they're to benefit him, but because they are to benefit us. And so God tells us, have joy in every season of life. Let it overflow because you have Jesus. Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy This is kind of strange to, to, to be able to communicate, but I don't really think joy is a feeling. I think that you, you can, I think that joy can be felt, but I don't think that's where it comes from. I think, I think ultimately joy is just a decision. Joy is a decision to be made, not a feeling to be felt. And, and, and I don't want to like go down this road too far because it would it, it, it gets dangerous very quickly but I don't think it's I don't think this is something that will surprise you we do live in a world and in a culture where we are encouraged to follow our feelings in a I mean all, all kinds of different ways But that's what my children do. You know why my children do that? Because they're children. And they don't know what's best for them. They just know what they want. And they're not mature enough to choose what they need even when it's not what they want. And part of growing in maturity is choosing what's best. So joy is a decision that mature men and women of God choose to make. And so I would encourage you to examine yourself 
in light of that truth. And if there is joy lacking in your life, I say this with love, and I say it to myself, you are the only one to blame. Because if you are looking for joy in anybody or anything else but Jesus, you will constantly and consistently find yourself disappointed. I hope you're encouraged today. (laughs) Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for blessing us with just an extra awareness of your presence today. God, thank you so much that we do live in a country that is no doubt flawed in in many ways, but that's just because it's it's full of people. (laughs) But it is a country that gives us the freedom to worship you without fear of persecution, to spread the gospel without fear of imprisonment. And Lord, we thank you for that today. And Lord, as we do our best to to dive into what Paul wrote, God, I pray that you would help us to not hear the words of a preacher, but to hear the words of your spirit. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Lifehouse said amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. Joy isn't a feeling. Joy is a decision. And here's the thing about choosing joy as a decision. Honestly, in my opinion, it can be a pretty hard decision to make. And sometimes I have to make that decision multiple times in one day. Can I get a witness in the house? Please don't make me do this by myself today. Do we need to turn the lights up, get you guys ready to go? Come on, let's turn them up just a touch, if you don't mind, in the booth back there. I saw them flicker a little bit. I think they, they saw Christian and they got scared, so they're like, no, I don't want to. Love you, man. Wake up, Christian. <laughs> Anybody, well, don't, don't, don't answer this because you may not want to, but if you've ever been to counseling before, uh, first of all, good job. Everybody needs to have counseling sometimes. But if you've ever, ever been to counseling, the, the thing that frustrates me about when I'm talking to somebody who is counseling me in the Lord is they don't really tell me a lot of stuff. And that's why I want to go to counseling. I want to go to counseling with a problem, and by the time I leave, uh, they have told me what to do about said problem. Now, that, and now, if a counselor ever did that, they would, in fact, be a really bad counselor. Because here's the thing about people. People don't like ideas that didn't come from them. So like when somebody tells me I have to do something, my first instinct is to not do that thing that they told me I need to do. Because I am stubborn. And I don't want to do the thing that you told me I need to do. Now, when I leave the house in the mornings, I might talk to Kristen in conversation. I'm just going to look up here for a moment. I don't want to look out there. And I will say something along the lines of, Julie, I need you to bodyguard me here. I'll say something along the lines of like, hey, you know what would be cool? If you did laundry today. And it's like, you could look, she's getting all tense right now. 
She's like popping her knuckles and getting ready to roll. And this is what she'll say to me. She says, well, I was going to do laundry today, but now that you said that, I ain't going to do laundry ever again. You can do it if you want it done. That's how she responds. And then she throws her shoe at me. 1-800 spousal abuse. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Listen, you had announcements. I've got the sermon. It is, it's Independence Day. It's not 4th of July. That's a date. It's not a date. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm so happy for December 25th. That makes no sense. Or November 26th-ish. Right? Come on. Anyway, I digress. So a good counselor, what they do is they ask you questions. They ask you questions to help you arrive at a place in answering those questions that the thing that you need to do, and and I'm, I'm super simplifying this, I hope you know that, but the thing that you need to do, you come up with it on your own. Like you realize it for yourself because they know that that's really the only way that you are going to own that decision is if you're the one that thinks it. And they know that if you come to it yourself, you are more likely to then employ it into your everyday life. And so today, what I want us to do is have a little uh, counseling session with ourselves. And we're going to ask ourselves some questions. We're going to ask ourselves some questions that are going to help us in our everyday, normal, living life kind of life to choose joy in the the good days, in the bad days, and in the in-between days. Because ultimately, I could could tell you that you need to choose joy. But that's not going to matter. You know that. You already know that. I know that. But but what what really is going to make a difference is if we we work through this process together, or, you know, on your own, because we're not going to really have a a chat session about it. I mean, you can, but that would be kind of distracting. Um, Is that, you know, three weeks from now, when some... Thing, something happens and that your, your first reaction is to respond in anything but joy it, it's hopefully these questions will come back to your mind you'll ask them and you'll answer them appropriately which will then help you in that moment of distress to choose joy anyway you guys with me and so a lot of the times the reasons why we don't choose joy and a lot of the times the reason why we don't do a lot of things that we know that we need to do is, is we don't ask ourselves the right questions. So when life happens, now I'm doing like air quotes for life, right? So, so, so what are, so with, with good taste, don't like tell me anything crazy, but like just shout at me. I want to I talk to you all today. What, what is an example of life happening? Losing your job. Oh, man, that's a, that was a little... Car trouble? When both cars break down. Yeah. So we got job issues. We got car issues. I, I don't know that one's better than, or the other because, like, car issues are, like, that check engine light comes on. My whole world just about ends. Like, anybody, anybody else want to shout one at me? House fire. Adult children. How about just children? 
children, 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 children. Any family, any in-laws. No, I can't say that. Outlaws, right? So, so when life happens, and, and it can be small potatoes type deals, right? But how many of you know that, that in the moment, more times than not, a small thing really does feel like a big thing? And, and the thing about life is that it doesn't slow down. It doesn't take turns. It doesn't let up. It, can, it just happens, right? And so when life happens, a lot of times we will ask ourselves and we will even ask the Lord, why is this happening? Why are you doing this to me? Anybody on, honest enough to say that <clears throat> you've had time with the Lord where you actually said, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you letting this happen to me? All of them. But that's the wrong question. Because ultimately, God, and I, I, th- I think this would do us all really well to understand, <clears throat> I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes give us reasonings. But usually, the reason why we don't know why is because if he told us in some way, our minds aren't able to comprehend it. His ways are so much higher than our ways, right? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans and his purposes for your life are bigger than than you can understand in this lifetime. Now, I believe that there will come a day when we will be able to stand before him face to face. And the things that we wanted to know, we will know. Like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons, right? Who wants to know that? Like, I am so curious about that. I'm, I'm convinced that they didn't, though. You know, can you imagine Adam, the ultimate six-pack with no belly button, getting in the way of that? Some people are like, I got up this morning for this. Now you got up this morning for the water slide. Now, that's the wrong question. You know, because you can die in your why. Like, you, you, you can be asking, and, and that's like, and I don't mean to, to talk about kids a lot in this, but that's the immature question. Because what do kids always ask? Why? And then you answer that, and they're like, but why? And then you answer that, and then they go, but why? And then you smack them because they won't shut up. I, I don't, I don't. I mean, other people, Julie might. I don't. I could really see you doing that, though, honestly. I think I have seen you do that before. Why at church? Why is the wrong question? Instead, ask, what are you talking to the Lord? What are you doing in and through me in this process? What work are you doing inside of me right now? Now, Paul is in a Roman jail, and he is writing to the Philippians. And, you know, he could have, you know, I said it earlier, he could have died in prison in his wine. But instead of focusing on the why, he focused on his what. And this is what he said in verse 
uh, 12 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. And, and that was Paul's what? His what was the gospel. And ultimately, everything that Paul went through was about the gospel. And it was about spreading the gospel. Now, now Paul could have prayed, Lord, why did you let me get all the way to Rome where I have dreamed about going for all of these years only to find myself locked up in prison and not do the thing that you called me to do, which was to preach the gospel. And God could have said, you know, in 2,000 and something years, there will be a little church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and they're going to start a, a sermon series, and they're going to talk about joy. And they're going to talk about how you can have joy always, no matter what, in every season, in every situation of life. And I want to use your letter that you're writing to the church at Philippi. You think you're just writing it to the church at Philippi, because that's what Paul thought. He just thought he was writing just a personal letter to a few people in a city about 400 miles away from him. But, and God could have said, you know, that's what you think you're doing, but really what you're doing is you're writing so that for the next several hundred years that people will be able to read your words that you wrote to this one church and they will grow in their faith from that. And, and I think Paul, of all people, might could have understood it, but even for Paul to think that big and to think that large would have had to have blown his mind. And that's why so often when we want to know why, God says, you wouldn't understand it even if I told you. Even if I spelled it out for you, it would be too much for you to, to get. And so instead of focusing on the why, he focused on the what. And the what was spread the gospel. And so if I can't preach the gospel, I'll write it. And if I can't preach from a pulpit to, to hundreds, I'll preach to the guard that's chained up to me every night and every day. He could have been so focused on his why, in that moment he would have missed out on his what. And today, I'm so thankful that Paul focused on his what and not his why. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on, can I get a better amen than that? What about when you're just done? Anybody ever been, I'm just done? You got to do your hands like that. Something like that. Like shaking your hands, right? I'm just done. I'm just done. And we ask ourselves, when will this ever get better? When will this ever be over? When are we going to get through this season? About this time last year, I was all about that. I'm, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be done? That's the wrong question. You know, Paul could have been so focused on his release from prison that he couldn't have been used by God to make the most of his time in prison. I honestly think that God locked him up in jail because had he not have done it, Paul would have never picked up the pen and paper and began writing. I think he would have been so busy uh, spreading the gospel by word that he would have never stopped long enough to take the time to spread the gospel by, by the written word? That's the wrong question. When will this be over? When will this get better? When will this be done? The right question. This is hard. This is not easy. This is, this is not... 
This, this preaches well, and this preaches easily, and it looks good in our little you know, Bible notebook type thing where we write down stuff, and it's a great thing to put on your mirror. But man, when you're in the thick of it, this is not easy because this is the right question. The right question is, God, how are you using this for my good and for your glory? How are you using this season of my life when I just want to shake my hands clean of it and be done with it? How are you using it regardless of my feelings about it for my good and for your glory? Paul had every right to focus on what he couldn't do. I mean, you've got a guy who is arguably, outside of Jesus, the, like, the best man to ever live. And I think that we, we often fall into this trap of believing that, and I've talked about this a few times already, that if I do good, that if I speak good, that if I act good, then good things will happen to me. And that is just a recipe for losing your joy right then and there. Because that's not, that's not how it works. That's not, that, there's, there's no example, honest to goodness, I can't find one person in the Bible that that actually happens to. I mean, I don't want to depress you while I'm preaching about joy. <laughs> I mean, but from the very start, I'm not saying that it's all bad, but nope. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty tough for a lot of these people. In fact, it's pretty tough for almost all of these people. And, and so I, I think one of the, one of the things that, that we need to, to just come to terms with is that we have not been promised a, a good, by the world standard, life. We've been promised a fulfilling life, We've been promised life and life to the full, but Jesus also said in John 16:33, "In this world, you will have trouble. You will lose jobs. You will have car trouble. You will have home problems. You will have kids. <laughs> and, and all of the stuff, whether they're yours or somebody else's, you get stuck with them sometimes, right? Yes, just shake your head this way. <laughs> and so instead of focusing on when's this going to be better, Paul focused on how the Lord was using the circumstances for Paul's good and for God's glory. This is what he says to the Philippians. We're, we're backtracking here. We're back in Philippians 1, again, verses 3 through 6. He says, every time I think of you. And he's talking about the church at Philippi. And I love that uh, because Paul is, is, is thinking about other people. He says, every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. You know, if I had been in prison in Rome, and I'm just going to be real with you, I don't know that I have a greater fear in this life than going to jail. You know those like locked up shows? I can't watch that. It gives me nightmares. I can watch The Exorcist before I can watch that stuff. I don't watch that. I'm just saying I could. It, it scares me so bad. Like, I don't need to be scared straight. Like, I'm already scared, okay? And, um, 
I'm too pretty for prison. <laughs> That's those things that you shouldn't say that I said anyway. I'll repent once I'm done preaching. But if I had been in that Roman prison and I'm writing to the church at Philippi, I would have been like, I cannot wait to get out of jail. Why are you guys not doing something to help me get out of jail? Not every time I pray and think about you, I thank the Lord. I'm like, no, I'm in jail. Do something about it. He said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, and once again, if I'm writing this, it would have been, whenever I pray, I beg God to get me out of jail. <laughs> but he said, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. He's praying for them. Verse 5, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard of it until now. And I am certain that God, once again, will one day get me out of jail. I mean, like, for real, though. Everything that I would have written down would have probably revolved around, I want to get out of jail, y'all. <laughs> but he says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I'm thankful for Paul's example. So what Paul chose to do, instead of questioning why God, why me, why this, Paul chose to pray. Paul chose to write. He couldn't preach, so instead of preaching, he wrote. Paul chose to encourage others. And Paul chose to be thankful. Paul chose joy when every earthly circumstance gave him every rational excuse to not choose it. And what about when somebody does you wrong? I mean, those are, those are really good opportune times to, to, to come up with a very rational reason to not choose joy when you've been wronged by somebody else. And the question that you want to ask is, what about me? What about my feelings? What about my story? What about my life? What about me? And once again, I know it's not easy, but regardless of, of what you were told when you became a Christian, following Jesus isn't easy. It's worth it, but it's not easy. You know, we often, we, we, we talk about following Jesus like he gives us like, an easier way to live life. And, and, and I, can, I can reconcile that theologically, but remember Jesus' first sermon? He didn't make it easier for the people that chose to follow him. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, right? Which is, I think we can all agree, that's a pretty good rule of thumb to live by. I hope we can. Please raise your hand. I just need to make sure that we're all on the same page there. And then if we're not, I need to keep my eye on you. You've heard it said, don't kill somebody. But I say unto you, Jesus doesn't lower the standard. He raises it. 
He says, but I say unto you that if you look at somebody with hate in your heart, you're murdering. Now, somebody's like, well, if I thought it, I might as well go ahead and do it. <laughs> That's what you get when you're a youth pastor for 10 years and we're talking about premarital sex. I'm just saying. Well, I thought it, I just might have. No, that's not the same thing. <laughs> Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, hate your enemies, right? But he says, no, 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 that's not how it works in the kingdom. No. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Oh, man, like, it's one thing to say, okay, me and you, we don't get along. Let's just, let's just stay away from each other. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says if you really want to be a child of God, find somebody that's hurt you and then bless them. Mmm. That's tough, isn't it? I saw an elbow just fly. I don't even know if it was in reference to what I said, but it was hilarious. What about me? That's the wrong question. The right question, though, is what about them? And once again, we're talking about Paul relating, or, or, or writing to somebody else. And again, I don't, I don't have to recap it, but I think it's worth recapping that, you know, I, I like to put myself in, in, in these people's shoes. It just helps me relate to the stories and understand their reactions a little better. And once again, if I'm writing to the church at Philippi, the entire message and theme of my letter would have probably revolved around me wanting them to help me get out of jail so that I could do the thing that God had called me to do. Right? Like, God, I need you to do this for me so then I can do that for you. But... But the thing is, wherever you are and whatever circumstances you are in, the only limitation to God using you is, is your perspective of the situation that you're in. So like, you might have lost a job, but you, and you might have had car trouble and, and all these different things, but if you will allow the Lord and if you will be humble and if you will be obedient to Him in the middle of that pain, He will not waste your pain. That's, that's, come on, yeah. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. Paul does ask for prayer. I don't know where that bass is coming from, but I like it. That's what's up. Is that kid's house? I thought somebody like pulled up in the churchyard and was like bumping out there. It brings me back memories of my 17-year-old self getting tickets in town. Anyway. He did, he did ask the believers, you know, to pray for his release, and he even asked them for help. You know, can you send me some help? But they were always a footnote. They weren't the theme of the letter. You know, for me, the theme of the letter would have been, hey, hey, yeah, I, need, I need help. And at the end of it, oh, by the way, I'm praying for you too, that, you know, whatever you need, God will do that thing for you. But Paul, Paul is completely the opposite. You know, for him, the footnote is himself. And he says this, and again in verse 3, he says, Every time I think of you, every time I think of you, 
I hope you'll send somebody to bust me out of prison. (laughs) Every time I think of you, I think, why haven't you sent somebody on a legal team to come get me out of jail? Every time I think of you, I think, why haven't you given more money to the cause for the gospel? Every time, that's just not what he did. That's not how he behaved. That's not how he responded. He said, every time I think of you, I thank God. Man, just the heart of gratitude that Paul had. Once again, with every logical, rational, reasonable reason to not have joy, to not have gratitude, to not have others-centric love for, for the church at Philippi, and even for the guards that were holding him captive. It amazes me. But, and I think that, you know, while I think Paul was a great man, he was just a man. And, 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 I, and I don't say this with arrogance. I say this with humility. And honestly, I say it with hopefulness. That if Paul could choose joy in that situation, then there is no situation you or I will ever face when I, don't ha- when, when I can't choose joy. I, I, where's hey, my phone? Right there. I got to make a phone call. I'm just kidding, not really. I just, I, I should have plan this better but it just came to my mind I screen captured it because it inspired me so much anybody everybody know who Mark Richt is he was the coach for the uh, Georgia Bulldogs for several years um, he, he, just a great guy he, I think he even coached at Miami for the last few years uh, great guy pretty good coach uh, but he'd be a great coach for Tennessee because they need anybody and everybody to help them <laughs> you can't even be mad at me for that you know it's true um, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And um, this is what he said. He said, I've decided to tell everyone at the same time I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Truthfully, I look at it as a momentary light affliction compared to the future glory in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for promising us a future blessing of a glorified body that has no sin and no disease. In the meantime, I am going to enjoy the blessings that I do have. That's what it looks like to choose joy. And last question. When we're looking ahead, when we're trying to decide what's next, the wrong question is, what do I want now? And, and I don't want to, like, beat a dead horse, but if you were in Paul's position and you said to Paul, hey, Paul, what do you want? I think that he would have probably said, I'd probably like to not be in jail. That'd be great. I could be, I'd be okay with that. And, and, and then we asked, you know, we could go around the room and, we could bring up a situation that you might be in or that you have been in. Or, and we could ask, well, you know, what, what do we want? You know, and, and if you've lost a job, the thing that you might want would, would, would be another job, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's bad. You know, if you've got car trouble, you might want a new car or a new home. And none of these things are bad. I, I hope you understand I'm not saying that these are bad desires. 
But, but I am saying be careful with them. Because sometimes we get so focused on what we want in the moment, we lose focus on what we want most. And, and for Paul, what did he want most? The thing that he wanted most was to follow Jesus faithfully, to spread the message of hope that can only come through Christ and to see others fall in love with the same Jesus he had fallen in love with. If he would have spent his time and energy focused on the thing that he wanted in the moment, he would have not been able to be used by God to do the things that he wanted most. And that's the challenge for us as humans because we can only see in the moment. We can only see in the now. In the future, while we have hopes for it, while we may have plans for it, and while we may have dreams for it, is something that until we get there, we, we, we don't really know what it's going to look like. We don't really know what's going to happen between now and then. And so what we often do, and I'm so guilty of this, is we focus on the moment. And obviously, you know, I could, I could go at that from another angle and talk about the importance of the moment, right? And I hope you, you hear my heart. I'm not saying that, you know, the moment isn't important. That's not what I'm saying. If you're a parent of, of small children, you need to focus on the moment, right? And if you're a parent of grown children, you know how bad you should have you wish you could go back often and focus more on the moment. Can I get an amen from anybody? Somebody help me out. And there's no doubt in my mind that Paul wanted freedom in that moment. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, I, I would imagine that Paul could have found a way to get out of jail. He could have, he could have told the, the, the Romans that were holding him captive, he would have said, you know what? I've been a little too loud about Jesus. I tell you what, you let me out of jail and I'll calm down a little bit. I, I, I just, I would imagine that had Paul really wanted and, and, and valued getting out of jail above everything else, I imagine he could have found a way out. I, I, I'm convinced that if Paul would have just said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to get out of jail, that another earthquake would have happened like it did in Acts 16, and the, the doors would have opened up and he could have walked free. But Paul was so humble and so obedient to the plan of God for his life, he didn't want to do anything to usurp what God was doing in him and through him, even in the moment of Paul's pain. And that, to me, is so frustrating, if I can be honest. But it also shows me that if Paul could do it, when he's facing prison. Surely I can do it when I'm facing the, the relatively small situations in my life in comparison. And Don, you and your team, come help. I am, um, 
Let me, let, me, let, me go, let me go off script here for a moment. In your Old Testament, there's a book named Daniel. And it follows the life primarily of Daniel, but also uh, we know him best as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and King Cyrus, and King Darius. And one of my favorite things about the story of Daniel is, is Daniel in the lion's den. Everybody know that story? And then, and, then, and then there's the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, right? Right? Okay. You guys okay? And, and you know, it starts out, I believe it's in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself. And he says, you know, when all the music plays, everybody in all of, of Babylon is to bow down towards the statue. And, you know, he plays the music in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they don't bow down. You guys with me? And, and Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, you got one more chance. And they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves in this matter. You know us. You know our character. You know who we are. We're not going to bow down to that statue no matter what. And you can throw us in the fire if you want to. And our God will rescue us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to that statue. Good story, right? Usually when we preach about that story, we preach about like, you know, not sinning. <laughs> but, but if having joy is a command, is it a sin to not have joy? If a man knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin, James says. We don't think about that. All. That, that, that hurts my feelings. Let's don't talk about that. And then later on in the book of Daniel, Daniel it, you know, he, as was his custom, he got down in his house and he prayed three times a day, the Bible says. And, but they had passed the law that if anybody prays to any other God than the, the, God of the, or the king of the Persians, that he would be thrown into a den of lions. And this makes really good Sunday school VBS stories, but it also makes really good real life stories for real life men and women of God who are doing their best to, to live a life that pleases and honors the Lord in everything that they do. And so Daniel bows down and he prays and then Long story short, Daniel was thrown in the, uh, the lion's den and I believe it was King Darius. He comes to him the next day and he finds out that, that Daniel is alive, that, that none of the lions harmed him. And then King Darius, he proclaims, the God of Daniel is the one and only God. It's this great moment, right? When Daniel, with no great feat other than small faithfulness, because that's what it was, is used by the Lord to reach a man who was very far from the Lord. But my favorite part of the story, my favorite part in the book of Daniel is what happens in Daniel chapter 1. Because see, without Daniel chapter 1, you don't get Daniel chapter 3 and you don't get Daniel chapter 9, right? Obviously, that makes chronological sense. But not just the chapters, what actually happened. So Daniel and, and I can't remember their, their Hebrew names, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, somebody, I think it was Azariah, I can't remember. It's not important. They're not here. They don't know I'm talking about them. They're standing there, and they are, are going to be displayed before King Nebuchadnezzar. And they're standing there, and, and part of this whole process involves them eating uh, the meat and the food and drinking the wine that comes from the king, right? And it had nothing to do with the fact that the meat wasn't kosher. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was wine. It had everything to do with the fact that the, the animals had been sacrificed to idol gods. 
And so Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say, you know what? Um, if it, he's talking to the chief guard. He says, if it pleases you, uh, let's, don't, don't let us eat this. Just give us, give us vegetables and water. And, and the guard says, well, you know, I can't do that because if I do that and you come back all scrawny looking, it's, I'm the one that's going to be in trouble. And Daniel says, how about for seven days? Let's just try it. See if it works. And, and if everything is okay, then, then let us continue to do that. Now, the thing is, and this is an often thing you talk about, is that, is that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Hebrew people that were in part of, a part of this process. So all of the other ones just chose to go along with what was going on. And that's really what choosing joy is, right? Choosing joy isn't easy. Choosing joy is choosing to not go along with the flow because the flow of life isn't joyful. It isn't peaceful. It, it is troublesome. And it is, it's hard. But choo and choosing joy is something that you have to make the decision to do even when you don't want to do the thing that you know you need to do. And Daniel says this, he says that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself by partaking of the king's meat and wine. Now, here's the thing. I love that story because it shows us, and I think we would all say, you know, I want to do, I want to do great things for the Lord. I want to be used in big ways for God. I want to be used like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were used when they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they came out and Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth one in the fire that looked like the Son of God and not even the smell of smoke was upon them and the only thing that was burned off them were the ropes that held them down. Come on! Wake up now! I want to be used like Daniel was used when he was thrown into the den of lions. First of all, I would love to pet a lion and not lose a hand or my life. But even more importantly, I want to be used in such ways that my life shows other people the goodness of God. But you don't get the fiery furnace and you don't get the den of lions if you don't have the moment when they purposed in their heart that they would not defile themselves against the Lord. Here's the thing. We're talking about jobs. We're talking about car trouble. We're talking about home trouble. And I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the, the pain that can be associated with those things. I'm not trying to diminish the problems that can be associated with those things. But if we can't choose joy in the small things, if we can't choose joy when we lost some sleep the night before, how in God's name can we choose joy when somebody we love dies too young? We have to start choosing joy every day despite the minor inconveniences of life because if you live long enough you will live through a tragedy and the fact that you can maintain your joy in the Lord which is your strength in the face of tragedy I guarantee you will be a testimony to the faithfulness of God to those that see you and your life will be the witness that brings transformation in those that see you. Just like it was for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and just like it was for a man named Paul who was thrown in prison for doing the thing that God had called him to do, and then he wrote the most joy-filled document the world has ever seen in the four chapters, 104 verses of Philippians. Stand this afternoon.
Paul goes on and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, living is for me to enjoy Christ, to become more like Christ, and to show others the love of Christ. If I die, that means I get to be with Christ. One of the main reasons why men and women of God struggle to choose joy is because we don't realize that we are in a win, 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 win situation. That if I'm going through a hard time, you know what he's doing? He's actually helping me become more like Jesus. Come on now, that's 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 good preaching. It's hard, right? That he's using what he's doing in me and through me to show others who he is. You know, some of the worst times in my life that I've ever gone through have been some of the best times spiritually that I've ever gone through. Because I didn't have anything else to lean on, so I leaned on him. And that's when I grew in the Lord. We're in a win-win situation. No matter what comes, no matter what happens. Paul knew it, and I hope you know it too. Today, you can choose joy always in every situation, in every season. In every set of circumstances, you get to choose joy always. And today, I know, listen, we got water slides, we got hot dogs. We've even had a few people already start moving that direction. They're so hungry, they got to get out of here. Now they're probably making us our food. And that's okay, we're going to get there soon enough. But today, if your prayers, Lord, help me to choose joy. And then you fill in the blank however you see fit. I want to invite you to come to this altar for just a few more moments as we go to the Lord together in prayer. You can come now.